Hello and welcome to the latest edition of Uber Neuro, the podcast where we speak to people with neurodiversity or caring for people with neurodiversities, including uh, ASD, autism, uh, Asperger's, um, ADHD, dyspraxia, dyslexia, whatever. Um, the reason I set up this podcast was because my son was diagnosed with ASD and at age 13, uh, that was a lot for him to handle. He found it really difficult to not re think it was his fault. So I want to communicate to him that there are lots of grown-ups uh, who have gone through this before him and they are uh, surviving or thriving uh, despite or because of uh, their particular neurodiversity. And I want him to realize that the future is not going to be defined by one or two pieces of him, but rather by him. So what better way than to speak to lots of amazing humans uh, who have been there before. Um, and talking of amazing humans today, I have joining me uh, Gretchen Leary from the US. Hello, Gretchen. Hi, good morning. Well, good morning here, <laughs> but I guess it's good evening there. Good afternoon here. Good morning over there. Absolutely. Uh, thank you for agreeing uh, to be uh, one of our guests. Um, the series is really uh, introducing me to some amazing people and looking at uh, your biography, it's, it's clearly uh, done that on this occasion. Uh, there's a lot to cover off. Um, just uh, reading out your Instagram bio will tell people a lot, but then I'd like you to take a couple of minutes to unpack that and tell us a bit more. Author, advocate, blogger, speaker, life coach, columnist, um, and a founder of uh, a business as well. So that's quite a lot. How do you do it all? Tell us a bit more about some of that. So, um, well, it's actually like, I feel like it's an awful lot of words for, um, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's an awful lot of words and an awful lot of titles um, for things that I do like interspersed. But, um, you know, I, I am the author of two children's books um, called oh. Really, Really Like Me and The Quiet Bear. And a lot of my advocacy has to do with the nonprofit Boston Com and with the books themselves by donating copies of the books or with the nonprofit itself and then doing public speaking. Um, and then the column that I write for is called, the, the company is called Geek Club Books. And it's like it's called Zoom Magazine. And so they have me write um, as an um, individual with autism. They want my perspective on what it's like to be brave every month. So I write a monthly column for them. Wow. And um, trying to think of the And then I am a poet. So, and then I do blog, my own blog as well, although I haven't been keeping up with I've got so much I'm trying <laughs> to keep up with that it's starting to get. That's kind of been on the back burner a bit. Sure. Um, yeah. Wow, and tell, tell us a little bit about uh, Boston Calm. So it started off as a community project and it was just my friend and I sitting around a table at Panera Bread. I don't know if you have those in the UK or not, but it's just like a little bakery and coffee shop basically. Um, and I, was, I just said, I have this idea. I wanna create these care packages with sensory items and started like toying around with how do I do this? Where do I come up with the money for this? And the best advice I was given by um, someone in the nonprofit uh, um, like world was just start. And I didn't really know what that meant at the, at the <laughs> beginning because I thought, well, that doesn't make any sense. How do you just start without any money? And so I contacted the local newspaper and I said, here's my idea. This is what I want to do because I thought this is how I'm going to get people to pay attention. And so the Needham Times covered 
um, that's the local paper covered what, what, you know, what I was doing as an individual on the spectrum, um, wanting to give back to those on the spectrum. And then the Rotary Club of Needham um, generously donated $2,300 worth of sensory items wow. uh, to, to the, yeah, to the programs. But there've been so many companies that have stepped forward. There's a company called Making Authentic Friendships, which I had never heard of, that gave a really generous donation. So we've been giving um, these sensory care packages to, to hospitals and autism programs that have like weighted lap pads, fidget toys, um, ear canceling, like, like earmuffs for kids or earplugs for adults and uh, for them to distribute like Boston Children's Hospital's autism program or Boston Medical Center's autism program and then Boston Public Schools we've been donating a lot too because they're definitely in need, their special education department. So we give, we've given to quite a few other programs, but those were our, those have been our three biggest. Amazing. I mean, that's an incredible project to be honest, Gretchen. The idea of just easing, even, even though as someone who's experienced autism and is experiencing it, you're still concentrated and focused on helping others and, and, you know, learning from your experiences, what's going to help others, you know, a sensory box, you know, full of stuff that's going to calm everyone down and just, you know, give them what they need. Cause of course, you know, exactly the kinds of things that are going to, that they're going to open that box and they're just going to be so relieved to see them. I mean, my son has a, a sensory box of things that we know uh, when he needs to um, uh, relax and uh, just take a moment of calm. Uh, mm-hmm. It's great to have that. So that must be, uh, that's po- possibly, probably life changing for people who never had anything like that before, especially if they're really going through stuff for the first time, that must really mm-hmm. be shortcutting uh, their experience to get back to a place of calm. So, that's amazing. You sound very busy. I don't know how you do it all, but obviously you managed to. <laughs> well, and, and the interesting thing is I am on disability because I think it's um, like, I don't know how it works in the UK, but um, I live primarily, like I can only work part time. So a lot of this is done, like I said before, like sporadically. And so sure. like, there's like bursts of things that need to be done and then it's quiet. And then there's, you know, and and then we'll get a big donation and then I'm running around, running around and then nothing. So it's kind of like the hurry up and wait saying, and, um, it's learned. It's, t- it, it was interesting because again, it started as this community project and I had to keep saying to people, you know, this is not a tax deductible donation. It was getting really annoying. And I, so I went and I said, to, I told myself, we're going to make this real. We're going to make this like a, a real nonprofit. And so uh, I started raising money to make it a nonprofit and then filed all the paperwork to make it an actual 501c3 um, nonprofit so that donations are now tax deductible. Um, and so that makes it a lot easier to ask for donations. Amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it just gives people an extra, an extra reason, right? You know, so, right. Um, uh, so let's talk about you a little bit. Uh, obviously that's an amazing, I mean, that's an incredible amount of activity. And obviously, like you said, it comes in, sporadically because there are periods where obviously you're going to be able to do stuff and then other times when perhaps less so so mm-hmm. what what challenges did you face uh, or I mean you still face them but when did your challenges emerge and tell us a bit about so, I mean I've always had issues with sensory like a lot the sensory issues were not as 
I was not vocal about my sensory issues as a child um, because I don't think I recognize them as what they are. I mean, most kids wouldn't know what a sensory issue is, you know what I mean? So they wouldn't know. Um, I had a lot of issues with heat as a child and bright lights, but I didn't really talk about it. Um, the biggest issues that came up that were really clearly obvious, because um, I wasn't diagnosed until I was 23, but I think a lot, it was really kind of like brushed under the rug as, um because i'm so verbal as um a like a, a generalized anxiety issue or social anxiety issue and because i didn't really know how much i was struggling with the sensory issues and yeah. um i really did struggle with communication just in ways that were not as obvious and so like with sarcasm and things like that and sometimes i get the jokes and half the time i still don't if i have to really know somebody and even then it doesn't work out so yeah um, that sounds, but, sounds yeah. very familiar actually i think there's a very familiar story i hear from lots of people that you know they're not encouraged to communicate there's a problem so they kind of brave it out and my son my son went through that and braved it out you know just kind of sucked it up because he thought it was him um mm -hmm. and then when when he got his diagnosis it was a massive relief because we kind of everything everything made sense mm -hmm. yeah all his feelings just it fun. felt it felt really like at first it was really humbling because I thought, okay, um, not everybody's like this. But th there was a part of me that had already known that I was different anyway, and so okay. honestly, it just helped me better understand myself. And I, I started to see it as an opportunity to grow instead of a reason to just give up. And that was the defining moment for me. So you kind of leaned into it. Mm -hmm. I did. I, I was like, I can, I can research this. I can figure out what's going to help me. And then I thought, yeah. gee, maybe I can help other people that have this too. So that was a really, that was, for me, like the opportunities to serve others has always been one of my special interests. And so um, it's interesting how that worked out. So it worked out really well. Yeah. But it's amazing, isn't it? You said something really interesting there that, you were able to research it and and once you know what it is you can kind of take control not control but mm -hmm. you can at least own it a bit and and then you can well if that's what you have and if that's who you are and if that's what you're like and if that's what you can do then at mm -hmm. least you can play to your strengths because now you know where your strengths are right mm -hmm. yeah it's, it's interesting i think there's a, a a massive wave of people I was saying this to my, my partner the other day that I think over the last hundred or so years, there's a lot of people who have never been able to get to this point of understand self-awareness and understanding because society might not have enabled it. And I think uh, even now it's still difficult, but I think we live in an age where this, any stigma is negated and actually it's a benefit and it's an encouraged uh, thing that kids should focus on explaining how they feel and my son if he wouldn't have explained how he felt you know it wouldn't have triggered certain things in my wife and I to realize that actually you know he's this isn't just anxiety because it started out as anxiety for him that's what we thought it was but that's because he was braving it out and he would come home from school and completely explode in an emotional volcano because mm -hmm. all day he'd had to manage this really complex set of uh, sensory issues and in a school environment 
you know, it just goes off like a volcano, doesn't it? You know, it's really difficult. Um, so, so what happened next? Obviously, you then found your voice. You started researching. Um, how did how did the rest of the world adapt to you? <laughs> I guess. Um, I don't. I don't think the world has ever adapted to me, but I think that I have found better ways to adapt to it. And I think that, you know, I always have sunglasses on me. I recognize now that heat is a problem and that means that I need to have cold water with me usually wherever I go. And I've learned that when I'm really anxious that putting cold water on my hands is really calming, which I never, that took me a while to kind of figure that out to like just have my hands running under cold water. Um, is just really calming and then um finding different things like meditation yoga um and writing although i was already writing learning new things like journaling and in journaling in a new way um in a more productive way than sitting and perseverating which was one is one of the hardest parts i think for me as somebody with um, autism spectrum disorder is the perseveration when we get stuck on something and we can't figure it out. And then it's like a month of it just trying to, it can start so many meltdowns where I'm just in tears because I'm trying so badly to, to understand something that doesn't necessarily, it just, it's in a gray area that doesn't necessarily like for instance, like a social interaction that went very wrong and I'll sit there trying to figure out, was it me that messed that up or was it them? Does it really matter? Does it, is it going, you know what I mean? And, and kind of, I've been learning a lot more about taking a step back and saying, is this going to matter like a year from now? Because if it doesn't, I need to, you know, kind of slowly let it go. And sometimes that works. And sometimes it's just a process of letting go. Like it just takes time. Yeah. I think that, that's something I'm going to talk to my son about, I think, because I think, he, he will dwell on stuff. I think, I think I do too, actually. I think, you know, I kind of have to unpack and understand exactly what happened. So I kind of have a, a sense of understanding of what you're talking about. It's probably never gone to the depth that you may experience it, but yeah, it must be uh, that, that sense of being hijacked by an issue and until you resolve it, you know, it kind mm -hmm. of just won't let you go. Right. It's kind of, um, yeah, all encompassing. It can be really frustrating because you, you get so stuck on it that it's almost crippling because it's hard yeah. to think of anything else. It's in the forefront of your mind when you're like, okay, I bet I need to run these errands. And your brain says, no, I want to sit here and think about it for another 12 hours. It can be really hard to be like, I'm, you know, like telling your brain, retraining your brain to the best of your ability to say, this needs to wait until I have time. And do I even need to spend that time? And that's where the the issue, um, I, that's something that I've been learning more recently is not just, okay, that could wait till later. That came first, was learning how to do that better or more effectively rather. Um, but then came the step of, do I even need to be thinking about that at all? Like, I can I can I just let it go? And sometimes the answer is no, but sometimes more often I feel like, um, it's so easy when you have issues with social interactions to feel like it feeling inept or feeling like you're not good enough and having issues with self-worth and really um, I've been really challenging myself um, in self like personal development to really not base my value 
on the opinion of others. And that's something I really struggled with as a kid because I want, you know, girls on the spectrum tend to mimic, you know, female behavior really well without understanding what they're doing, which can get us into trouble. Um, and so I think that I got really caught up with feeling like I needed validation from others to know that I was okay and that I was worthy. Um, and I think everyone, that's not really just a spectrum thing, but when you have a disability that impairs your social interact, like your ability to socialize, I feel like that can become a real problem, at least for me, it can become a really big challenge because you kind of want someone to say, hey, you did a great job with that, but that doesn't really, you know, like you don't go to a job interview and the guy doesn't just say, or the guy or woman that's interviewing isn't going to just say, hey, you did a really great job with that inter interview, even though I'm not going to give you the job. You know what I mean? Um, because yeah. they don't know what I go through in a job interview. If I go to one um, or a TV interview sometimes, I often hold my breath if I'm trying to sustain eye contact because it's so uncomfortable and because I'm so focused on eye contact, I forget to breathe, which is really not good. Um, and so there's so much that's going on in my brain just to present myself as normal that it's exhausting. And at the end, if you don't get a positive outcome, it can be hard to sustain a positive mindset. And so that's something I'm really working hard on. Yeah. I think that the complexity of that is really powerful for people like me to understand as well. I think, you know, the depth of the depth of someone said to me on a recent podcast, who was it? It was Kelly actually, who runs a business in the UK called born anxious. And it's because her son was as ASD. So she built a business to create clothing, sensory clothing for him. And she said, yeah, it's really cool. And we bought some of the clothes. They're really cool actually. And they have really cool messages on them as well. My son has a, a T-shirt and it says still buffering, you know, like when you're uh -huh. still buffering and that's like mm -hmm. human mind, right? So, mm -hmm. so he loved that. Um, so the idea is that it communicates a message to people as well. It's not just his T-shirt that they can see maybe there's something to take a, a more chilled approach to him. But she said, um, and I hadn't thought about it like this before, that it's not a behavioral event. It's an emotional event. It's a sensory event. And I think, I think most up until my son's going through this, you know, I kind of didn't really see the distinction as a parent, you know, mm -hmm. I just see behavioral events, <laughs> you know, just see behavioral events, people doing or not doing something. But one thing I'm really grateful for is that this, uh, this, this neurodiversity universe that's opened up in front of me because of what, what my son is going through has mm -hmm. totally exploded that myth. Most of the time it isn't a behavioral event, even if you're not ASD. You know, most people going through stuff are going through stuff. Now, if you have ASD, it's almost certainly not a behavioral event. It's almost certainly emotional or sensory. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Kelly's kind of main point was, we just all need to be kinder to each other because actually mm -hmm. this is the lesson, right? If we just slow down and not impose on someone that they need to respond immediately in a certain way. And actually the world would be a lot better. And, and that reminds me also, I know a lady in the UK who's a sort of special educational needs and disabilities um, uh, guru. I mean, she's been in the education system for like decades and decades. And um, she said to me that schools that have great in the UK, we call it SEND, SEND. I don't know what the U S 
version is, but in a school you'd have a, a special educational needs and disabilities person, someone who is responsible for that part of the school to make sure mm -hmm. inclusivity. And she said that the best schools in the UK, typically, um, if, if they have great send, send awareness, they typically become a great school. Because if you can cater for kids uh, with ASD, then you're going to cater for all the kids much better because you're going to be more mm -hmm. patient, you're going to be kinder, you're going to be calmer. And, and I think there's a societal learning here. Maybe that's what neurodiversity is here to bring to the universe on a wider level, that actually if we, if we just slow down and just focus on being kind to each other and taking into account what someone's going through, mm -hmm. then, then the whole planet would be happier. You know, I think that's true too. Yeah. You know, I think if you look at, I mean, look at the world of politics, it's the opposite of that. <laughs> and we're not going to get political, but you know, mm -hmm. politicians don't seem to be able to be kind to each other very often. It's very combative. Right. And I, and I think that's, yeah, there's a lot of learnings I think that are going to emerge over the next 50 years that hopefully will improve society in general. Um, so, so what's next? I mean, you've got a phenomenal, set of stuff uh, in front of you um, mm -hmm. what, what do you think the future holds well I'm hoping to find a publisher that will help me publish more books I uh, more children's books I feel like um, it's been a huge challenge to do them on my own they're self-published mm -hmm. which takes years to publish each one and it would be a tremendous help to have um, a publisher or agent that can help me with the process because I know that the audience is out there. It's just very difficult thinking about like when people talk about, well, I just find an agent and then get a public, you know, they'll, it'll get published. Um, even for the typical author, it's not easy, but for someone who struggles with social issues, it's going to be even more challenging. So, um, that is kind of my next step is like really hoping I can find, um, a literary agent who is interested in these books and so I can write I'm actually looking I'd really like to write a series but part of me kind of doesn't want to write the series until I find an agent it's kind of like it, um, a catch-22 um, but my I've actually just written um, my first young adult uh, fantasy novel manuscript which I don't know how I crammed that in there but I did I did that this winter and I was so proud of myself. I, I when I hit, I think it was about 58,000 words and a lot of people that don't know what about writing wouldn't understand the meaning of what like 58,000 words means. Mm -hmm. um, that's a lot of words. I think, I think that, um, oh, I can't remember how many pages that was in word, but I, and like a word document, but it was insane um, writing it and because most most um, adult novels, the criteria for an adult novel is usually anything over sixty thousand words. So um, even when I when I hit twelve thousand words, I thought I can't do this. And then I hit twenty thousand, and then thirty thousand, and I thought maybe I can do this. And then I hit forty thousand, and I did it in a matter of two months. I forced myself mm -hmm. to write a minimum. On, whenever I sat down, I had to, I told myself you have to write a minimum of two thousand words, 
And um, some days I wrote 8,000 words, which were my really big days. Those were like the really big ones. But I want to do a lot more writing and I want it to be where it's not that the focus is autism, but that the focus is being the, the beautiful, like the, the beauty in, in somebody being different, because that's kind of what the novel that I, the young adult novel I wrote about isn't about a girl with autism, but she's sure different, like, and she's able to use her differences to help others. And so that's kind of like my story, but in a fantasy realm. Um, and so I'm kind of excited to see if I can find an agent for that. That one's already done, but I would like to write more children's books as well. And eventually I'd like to write a, like a memoir, but I feel like I've got a long ways to go before I'm ready to say I'm looking back on everything because I'm, I've got a long way to go. <laughs> <laughs> well, there must be a publisher that specializes or if there isn't, someone should create one. Um, so hopefully someone listening to this um, can help or at least point, you know, you've got an army of fans and followers so we've got to just get everyone kind of pulling in your direction and finding you that publisher. They must exist. And the books sound really cool. Um, I, you know, I call this podcast Uber Neuro because I genuinely think um, that differences are opportunities and incredible. You know, it's easy to look at someone that's different and see a negative, but that's mm -hmm. not beneficial. Um, but actually, you know, there are, and we're seeing now more and more. I heard recently of a software firm in the US that's uh, proactively hiring um, programmers with autism because they know that if they're math, if if they're very strong in math, that they're going to be really, really potent programmers. So I think people are starting to wake up to the potential reality that actually what might seem a negative in some ways may compensate in other ways, right? And we've seen lots of mm -hmm. people over the years who. The first person I heard of who had autism was a long time ago. It was a guy in the UK uh, called Stephen Hampshire. I don't know if you've heard of him. He's, no. He's an amazing, he was an amazing kid. He was like 11 years old. And he was from London. And he had, uh, I believe he suffered uh, with uh, an incredible memory, as if that's a curse, you know. And so hmm. they, you could show him like an image like for a second and then he could completely recreate it and he uh dr oliver sachs uh, who's a famous psychologist who's now passed away uh who wrote some really amazing books about you know neurodiversity long before it was neurodiversity um mm -hmm. he took stephen up in a helicopter over new york and they had they blindfolded him stephen requested this so they blindfolded him and then they, they showed him the New York skyline for like 10 seconds. Mm -hmm. And then Stephen went into a warehouse and on a canvas, like the size of this, you know, warehouse, recreated mm -hmm. the entire skyline with every window in every building. Wow. And people think that's a disability. You know, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's an amazing superpower. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I think that's amazing. Who wouldn't love to be able to do that, you know, just to... I mean, and I, so I think, I think, uh, I think your books are in exactly the right direction. I think they sound amazing. And I'm sure someone will, if, if we will it, it will happen, of course. So I'm sure someone will happen. I'm sure it will, without any doubt. Um, 
Amazing. Well, I've been, uh, it's been amazing uh, to talk to you. I'm so grateful, uh, conscious of the time. Uh, but uh, what can I say? Thank you so much, Gretchen. I think it's been really um, amazing hearing your story. So thank you for sharing. All right. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great talking. No worries. Uh, I'm just going to wrap up the podcast for everyone listening, um, and then I'll stop recording and we can chat for five more seconds if that's okay. Yeah. But to everyone listening, thank you so much. I hope you've enjoyed hearing from Gretchen as much as I have. Um, please do like, share, comment, spread the word. If you know anyone in publishing that you think you could that could help Gretchen, absolutely get in touch with us via any of our channels. Uh, it would be awesome to uh, help Gretchen on her mission to. Uh, get the word out even more uh, and we'll be back next week with another episode um, so do stay tuned and if you can think of anyone we need to interview please do let us know uh, once again thanks for me and thank you very much Gretchen thank you